Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. I am solo tonight. My normal co-host, Luca, is in Europe. He's traveling. Those of you that caught the Friday night episode saw Stokes fill in. Luca having some technical issues tonight, plus, you know, still catching up on sleep. Decided to fly solo tonight. I do want to say right off the bat, those of you watching on YouTube, first, thank you. I appreciate you. You might notice we have a little bit different background tonight. We don't have a solo background for Bill's chat. So to make it more visually appealing, I'm using my quick chat solo background. So getting that out of the way, folks, boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to get into tonight. Um, I think this is going to be one of those shows where we dwell on what happened today, but we also really steer it toward big picture because what happened in New England to the Buffalo Bills today is the type of game that brings up so many more questions that I don't even know if we were prepared to ask even before this game started. And just for those that don't know, let's go ahead and get the, the score out of the way here. The Bills lost to the New England Patriots today, 29 to 25, falling to four and three on the season. And they next play on Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in Buffalo. Quick turnaround for the Bills this week. But falling to four and three against a Patriots team that came into this game one and five, uh, their last they hadn't won a home game all year long. The last time they were on their home field, they got shut out by the New Orleans Saints. They've had two games this year where they haven't even scored a touchdown. They had three points against the Saints. I'm sorry, three points against the Cowboys and zero points against the Saints. And this team went down the field on our Buffalo Bills defense with two minutes to go, needing a field goal to tie, and they took the lead on a touchdown pass to Mike Gusecki to win the game and to open up a large can of worms of questions for our Buffalo Bills. But the first thing I want to talk about tonight is I do wonder if this game was important for us as fans. Because I think even with the Bills being four and two, and even with that Giants game kind of feeling like a little uneasy, I think up until this game went final today, the majority of fans, and I will certainly include myself in that mix, thought that this Bills team was still a very good football team, still a Super Bowl contending football team. And yeah, have they looked great? No, they're the last two weeks have been bad, but you could kind of say, okay, well, Jacksonville, maybe jet lag or the Giants game. Maybe they just didn't take the Giants very serious. But now the reality of their situation is this is now three games in a row where the Bills haven't looked very much like a mediocre average football team. They've gone one and two in that stretch. And their one win was a game where they beat a one-win Giants team at home by one yard. One yard. And when you look at the larger sample size of the season, the Bills have played seven games. Those three games I just talked about have been quite the lull. When you throw in week one against the Jets, that's now four of the seven games the Buffalo Bills have played this year where it's been more mediocre than good. So I think that begs the question, do we have to change our view of this team? Is it still safe to assume 
that this championship contender is in them somewhere and we're just trying to pull it out? Or did we overrate the talent? Did we overrate the coaching staff? Did we overrate the players? Did we overrate the impact of some very key players getting another year older? All of those questions now come to the surface on a four and three football team. I will say right off the bat, four and three is not a death sentence. Look around the AFC. The AFC right now for coming into this year, being the conference that was supposed to be so top heavy, the best team in the AFC right now is the six and one Kansas City Chiefs. At the time I'm recording this, the Miami Dolphins are losing to the Philadelphia Eagles. They're five and one. They could be six and one. They could be five and two. We'll have to see how that goes. But after that, the Jaguars are five and two and the Ravens are five and two. The Bills are in that next group. The next group of four win teams, along with the Steelers and the Browns. And tomorrow night is an NFC game. So it's not like the Bills are at the bottom of the AFC. They're very much in the mix. And their next game is a game that they're favored to win by seven and a half points on their own home field. So, you know, at least the odds makers in Vegas think that the Bills are going to be a five and three football team in four days. But I think this idea that the Bills just have this magic button or Dorsey has this magical sheet in his play call list that he just hasn't turned to yet is going to save everything. That's very much in question right now. I do really wonder about the weapons outside of Stefan Diggs, and this predates this season. I think this was a conversation last year. And there was a large segment of fans that would shoot it down anytime you'd mention Gabe Davis and say, whoa, 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 take a look around the rest of the league. You show me how many other number two wide receivers are putting up the same stat line as Gabe Davis. And I will just tell you the same concern I had about Gabe Davis last year is the concern I have now. It's, it's not consistent with him. He will have games where he goes six catches for 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns. And you're thinking, all right. Gabe Davis has arrived and then he'll stack three or four games in a row where he doesn't even catch the ball today. The Buffalo bills are having a game where Stefan Diggs is not Superman. Stefan Diggs goes six for 58 and a touchdown. His touchdown was quite unbelievable. Um, but we knew going in the Patriots were tough on number one receivers up until this point of the season. Only A.J. Brown on the Philadelphia Eagles had broken 70 yards against the Patriots. Other number one receivers, C.D. Lamb, Garrett Wilson, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. Those guys didn't sniff 70 yards. They were all 50 or less. And Stefan Diggs was just the next name on the list of players. He hit 58 yards and a touchdown. This was a game where you needed somebody else to step up. Gabe Davis, who's the Bills' number two receiver. The Patriots are 30th, at least in fantasy football projections, at covering number two receivers in the league. That's not good. There's only 32 teams. They're 30th. That means they are the third worst. Gabe Davis gets five targets, one reception for six yards. Folks, I don't know what to say anymore. I really don't. I understand that there is a very high likelihood that at the end of the season, when you add up Gabe Davis's stats, it might be something like 800 or 900 yards. And he might even get 10 touchdowns. 
And we're going to say, well, look around the league. How many other teams have a wide receiver who is within 100 yards of a 1,000-yard season and double-digit touchdowns? And that's a great argument when you add it up. The problem with Gabe Davis is it is such a roller coaster of inconsistency and you can't count on him. And what the, this Bill's offense needs is somebody Josh Allen can count on consistently outside of Stefan Diggs. And he hasn't had that since Cole Beasley in 2021. 2021 Cole Beasley. At that point in time, Cole Beasley, and that wasn't even the best version of Cole Beasley. I really want to say Cole Beasley 2020. Since then, it's been Emmanuel Sanders kind of hit or miss. Uh, what was ever left of John Brown? Not very much. Gabe Davis being elevated from wide receiver four to wide receiver two. Dawson Knox looking like he's emerging as a very good tight end, getting the big payday and then kind of leveling off and not ascending beyond that point. Khalil Shakir, a guy that many people thought the Bills stole in the fifth round, not really elevating himself. Paying big money for Deontay Hardy, um, elevating Isaiah McKenzie to wide receiver three. And it's just been nobody. It, it, it continues to be Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. And if Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs isn't working, then watch out. And in previous years, what the Bills would do is they would go to their second best play, Josh Allen running or Josh Allen scrambling around trying to make something work, which many of us know is not a sustainable way of offense, but holy cow, is he good at it? And Josh Allen just doesn't run anymore. And I think that's okay, especially for the regular season, especially when you start thinking about how long you want this guy to be the Bills quarterback. It's, it's the long game here. You don't want Josh Allen's career to be over with by the time he hits the age of 32. You don't want him to be like Cam Newton, where his body breaks down way faster than most quarterbacks. You want to extend this window you have of having Josh Allen as your quarterback by protecting him. But the Bills, in doing so, have really neutered this offense. James Cook was fine today. 13 for 56, had a couple big snags out of the backfield, one touchdown, one play on a scramble drill where he looked very natural extending the play with Josh Allen. Three for 46 and a touchdown through the air. I'm happy with James Cook. The two names that I'm just really unsure about at this point are Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox. These are the guys that either based on the role they have had the last two years or the contract that they either A, have gotten in Knox's case or B, seem to be rumored to be getting soon in Davis's case, need to be able to step up and be consistent weapons. And they have been anything but that in this offense in 2023 and going back to 2022 Gabe Davis in this game I already said one catch for six yards Dawson Knox on the season he's played seven games he's played all seven games he has 15 catches folks and 102 yards receiving and one touchdown 15 catches 102 yards receiving in seven games. I'm not a math major. I don't even need a calculator to tell you that that is going to equate to less than 300 yards if you were to extrapolate that out to 17 games. Does that mean he's going to finish with less than 300 yards? No, I would expect he has a big game 
or two up his sleeve. It would be nice to see that at some point, though. What he had today was a ball in his hands on fourth down, fourth and two, when the Bills are trying like crazy to come back. And Josh Allen extends the play. And he throws it to Dawson Knox. The ball hits him in the chest. Knox turns. A defender hits him. And the ball goes up in the air and lands on the ground. Turnover on downs. And we have seen that happen time and time again with Dawson Knox. And for whatever reason, it feels like since 2021, we just haven't seen Dawson Knox make big catches for this team in big spots. It's very disappointing. And I think a real conversation needs to be had today about whether it's time to fast track Dalton Kincaid to more of the full-time number one tight end on this team, because you saw today what he can do both as a reliable weapon downfield, catching passes that are thrown to him. That is a very important part um, as a guy after the catch that can make things happen as a guy that understands how to get open in certain zones. And what I will say is today was the first time I really noticed Dalton Kincaid lighting up in line quite a bit. I'm interested when PFF releases their snap counts and snaps by position because I felt like today, more than any other game, we saw Dalton Kincaid line up inside a lot. And that intrigues me. I think the Bills need to go away from this 12 personnel package they've been trying to do since the season started. Um, I, I liked the idea of it. I still do like it in theory. But the problem is it's not the rookie tight end. It's the other tight end, Dawson Knox. He doesn't scare defenses. Teams are perfectly okay with Dawson Knox beating them because if Dawson Knox catches a ball, it's probably a 5 or 10-yard paper cut. And after that, it's Gabe Davis, who at this point in his career is a one-trick deep ball pony inconsistent hands elsewhere. And Stefan Diggs is Mr. Do everything. And if you want to focus all of your attention to taking him away, and which is exactly what I would do is that if I was a defensive coordinator facing the bills, just dare them to beat you with somebody else. Khalil Shakir's snaps have increased today. He had four catches for 35 yards. I thought Khalil Shakir had a sneaky good game for the bills. He has really improved as a blocker. And that's, that's fun to see. The Bills have taken notice of that because he is out snapping both Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy. And the Bills are running a lot when Shakir is on the field. Coming into today's game, the Bills were running 63% of the time when Shakir is on the field, which speaks a lot to his ability as a blocker. If he can develop more of a pass game role, that would be an exciting turn of events for him. I do think the Bills' best 11 personnel package right now would be Dalton Kincaid at tight end and Deontay Hardy at slot receiver. I think that gives them the best combination of explosive weapons, um, diverse weapons, the ability to beat you at all levels of the field and the ability to be multiple with guys who can catch it short and take it a long way and guys who can take the top off the defense. Uh, this, this offense desperately needs more of that. Uh, I want to talk about the defense quickly here. I mentioned the fact that despite how awful this game started, the Bills, who only had 10 points in the first three quarters against a Patriots defense that ranked 26th in the NFL in points against, not good, 32 teams, 26th in the NFL in points against, playing without their two best players on defense, Matthew Judon 
and Christian Gonzalez playing without their other edge rusher opposite Matthew Judon and Josh Uche had held the, the Bills offense to 10 points through three quarters. Unacceptable all around. Well, what we saw happen in Jacksonville, in Jacksonville, in London against Jacksonville, is the same thing that happened today. The Bills offense could not get out of its own way for about three quarters, and then they fall behind by multiple scores, and now it's to the point where they have to score every time they touch the ball and they have to score quickly. So what does that do? It kicks the Bills into a hurry-up mode, and they go into the hurry-up mode, and they look like a completely different offense. They are taking chances. They are getting downfield. They're getting on the ball, and they're scoring like that, and the Bills go down the field and score a touchdown like that to Stefan Diggs. And then Josh Allen, I'm sorry, not Josh Allen. There's a very wild play happening in the Sunday night game, a fumble ruski that just went out of the back of the end zone. I'm sorry that I am uh, distracted by that. Um, and then, so the Bills make it a one-score game. Jordan Poyer forces a fumble, and the Bills are in business, and the Bills go down and score again. And now the Bills have a three-point lead on New England with less than two minutes to go because they get the two-point conversion to pass to Dawson Knox that he actually caught. And now you're thinking, man, the Bills are cooking with gas because this Patriots offense, despite the fact that they had only that they'd already scored 22 points on you, they are not good. They are not a good offense. They're not going to go down the field on this Bills defense and score a touchdown. Worst case scenario, they're maybe going to go down and get in the field goal range. And then you go to overtime, you take your chances. You have Josh Allen, they have Mac Jones. You like your odds. But no. First play, little play to the flat to Ramondre Stevenson, and he goes about 60 yards. And I probably actually have the amount that he went here. He went, not 60 yards, he went 34 yards. And um, that was a bad start to a bad sequence for the Bills. It looked like for a second, maybe that play was going to get called back by having an illegal man downfield. Uh, the replay showed the Patriots shouldn't have been called for that. I, I have no problem with that flag being picked up. And then the Bills cannot keep the Patriots out of the end zone, ultimately ending with a Mike Gusecki touchdown. That all but ended the game. It's funny enough, though, the Bills got the ball back with a timeout in their pocket and time for two plays. And Josh Allen throws a rope to Stefan Diggs down to the Patriots 30 that actually hits him in the chest and he drops it. It would have been interesting to see what happened had the Bills had a chance to uh, fire one to the end zone from the 30-yard line. I, I'm not going to predict they would have scored. I might predict it might bounce off Gabe Davis or Dawson Knox's hands. Uh, but, you know, that would have at least made it interesting. Instead, they were left with a hope and a prayer 80 yards away, and that prayer was not answered. But back to the defense. Um, It felt like today, losing Ed Oliver for today, I mean, he's not... He's, all reports are he should be back soon. In fact, he looked like he was warming up with the team on Friday. Losing at Oliver on the heels of losing Daquan Jones, Matt Milano, and Tredavious White felt like the leak in the dam that broke the dam. Up until this point, the Bills had lost Tredavious White, Matt Milano, and Daquan Jones. Those are all massive losses for any defense. But the one good thing you could say about those losses is they were not cluster injuries. They were injuries at three different levels of the field. So Daquan Jones hit to the defensive line, but the Bills are deep at defensive line. Matt Milano, huge hit to the linebacker core. Huge, huge. There's, there's no way around it, but it's just one linebacker. 
Tredavious White, huge hit to the secondary, but you have Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson's a guy that started 26 games in this league prior to Tredavious White getting hurt. All in the Bills scheme. Feel good about him as a backup. Losing at Oliver on the heels of losing Daquan Jones felt like today the injuries finally caught up with the Bills. Taking them one by one, I think Puna Ford, at least watching the game tape, had a really rough game. I'm not sure that Tim Settle had a really good game. It felt like the Bills could not get any pressure on this Patriots offensive line. That is not good. The one sack came from Jordan Poyer. And Dorian Williams struggled today, had some bad reads, ultimately got benched for Tyrell Dodson. More on that in a bit. I was not a fan of that move. Um, but yeah, on the last series of the game, you just expected the Bills to come out and close the door on these Patriots, and they didn't. And you're kind of looking around, wondering who's going to make the play. Is it going to be Poyer? Is it going to be Hyde? Maybe Von Miller's out there, crunch time. Rousseau, Floyd, Floyd's been big for the Bills. Terrell Bernard would make a lot of sense. It was nobody. And so I was, after the game was over, I was thinking about something. I was thinking about this defense. They've taken some hits. This defense as currently constructed, knowing who is not coming back, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, and Tredavious White. Knowing what the Bills have the rest of the way on defense. How many great players do the Bills have on defense? I think zero. Is that fair? In 2023? Von, Bill Von Miller is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is one of the best players of this generation. I'm not convinced in 2023 Von Miller is still a great player. Haven't seen it yet. He has, a, I mean, the injury is a huge factor. He's, he's working his way back, but I have concerns that go beyond this very small sample size of partially playing in three games. I just, you worry about somebody of his age coming off that injury. I'm not ready to just assume he's going to be the great Von Miller of old. Quite frankly, I was not going to assume that of Tredavious White either. Matt Milano's a great player, but he's gone. I posted this question on Twitter. I got some responses about Greg Rousseau and Ed Oliver. I like what I've seen from both of those guys. I love the trajectory they're on. I'll throw Terrell Bernard in that mix. I one of our one of our friends on Twitter, Jill, was like, I can't believe Terrell Bernard hasn't been mentioned in this chain. And I get it. Terrell Bernard has been playing very good, but I will say the same thing about Terrell Bernard that I said about Ed Oliver and Gregory Rousseau. In my mind, a great player is somebody that has a track record, a long track record of being a high impact player and being considered one of the best players in the sport at his position. That's not Ed Oliver. That's not Gregory Rousseau. It's not Terrell Bernard. Can those guys get there? Absolutely. Ed Oliver has, since 2019, 19, 20, 21, 20, four seasons of kind of just being okay to pretty good. And then he's really turned it on in 2023. I love what I've seen from Ed Oliver in 2023. He was missed greatly today. But to call him great, I think would be ignoring everything we've seen from Ed Oliver prior to 2023. I love the trajectory he's on. I love where it feels like his career is going, but I'm stopping short of calling him a great player until I see more. Gregory Rousseau, another guy that I, I love the baseline of his skill set. 
He is so long. He is so strong. He is so good against the run, which for a young player is just, you just can't teach that. Like young players come into the league and they just want to rush the passer. And for him to be a first round edge and so good against the run and still effective against the passer. But again, I can't call him great. This isn't a guy that's challenging for top 100 lists or pro bowls or all pros. And look, I know you want to roll your eyes at some of those things. And I do too. I get it. But at some point, to be considered great, you have to at least be considered for those things. And he's not there yet. He might be there. There's a chance he's there by the end of the year. And then maybe he's in that conversation. Terrell Bernard, uh, I this is not a shot at Jill. I love interacting with her on Twitter. She's, she's one of our favorite people to interact with. But Terrell Bernard, I mean, it's been seven games. And he got benched last year. Couldn't even get a jersey in the playoff game. So it's hard to ignore that, but you love what you're seeing from him. I, he might be the one of those three that I'm most excited about because I had such little expectation for him. And it feels like they've really solved the hole with Terrell Bernard to the point where, man, if he were to get hurt, that would feel like maybe the biggest loss they could have on the defense at this point in time. Think about that for a second. Is that right? That might be right. Maybe it's Taron Johnson. Taron Johnson's another guy that got brought up by our uh, friend Sporksrock from uh, Cover One. I think he's probably the best argument for a great player at this point. Taron Johnson, to me, is a guy that doesn't get enough credit for how good he is because he's kind of a dirty work player. And the dirty work doesn't necessarily lead to national recognition. Now, it's weird. Taron Johnson has had some very big moments in some very big games. He had a game-changing pick six off of Lamar Jackson in a playoff game. He picked off Patrick Mahomes to end a game in Arrowhead that the Bills won. He got a pick six off of Ben Roethlisberger on national TV that ultimately led to the Bills getting the number two seed. But I don't think he's thought of in that same vein. Maybe it's because he's a nickel corner and there's just there's still some thought about like, oh, those aren't the guys that do the do the hard job. You know, the, the the cornerbacks like Sauce Gardner and Trayvon Diggs and Pat Sertain are like the true shutdown corners. And I get that. I understand that. But what Taron Johnson does for this defense is borderline irreplaceable. I'd hate to see this defense without him. So if you want to argue Taron Johnson's a great player, I'll give that to you. But I can't do it with Von Miller. I can't do it with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. I would love to be wrong. But based on what I've seen so far in 2023, I, I don't think it's fair to assume that they're still great players. And that's my issue is where's the great players? Who Who's your Batman? Who's the guy that when the season's on the line, when the game's on the line, when not when it's a two-minute drill on October 22nd in Foxborough and Mac Jones is a one-in-five quarterback driving down the field on you? What about when it's the middle of January and you're in Cincinnati and you have a one-point lead on the Bengals and Joe Burrow comes on the field with a minute left. Who's going to make the play then? You hope Ed Oliver. You hope Greg Russo. You hope Terrell Bernard. But right now, it's hard to say any of these players are great. Look at the Monday night game from last week. Back and forth game between the Chargers and the Cowboys. Cowboys get a lead, and who closes the door? Micah Parsons, Stefan Gilmore. The Bills don't have those guys right now. And that's why the defense cannot be counted on right now to be an elite defense. I think expecting that out of the defense 
is an unfair expectation. This team needs to be great on offense for this to still be a Super Bowl team. And they are not great on offense right now. They are really fighting it on offense right now. Three games in a row, they have done next to nothing in the first half. Against Jacksonville, they had seven points in the first half. They were shut out by the Giants in the first half. And they had a field goal in the first half against the Patriots. Three, zero, and seven. Ten points in the last three first halves combined. And if you want to really dig under it, three points the last two weeks against the Giants and the Patriots. Bad football teams. Just bad starts. I don't know that I come away from today thinking that Ken Dorsey is the reason why the Bills are struggling. I know that's popular. And ultimately, he's the highest ranking offensive coach on this team. So the blame could fall on him. But I think there were some examples today of execution failing Ken Dorsey more so than scheme. There was a deep ball in the late third quarter to Stefan Diggs. He was wide open. If Josh Allen hits him in stride, he walks into the end zone. Josh Allen missed the throw. Overshot him. Our friend Kayla on Twitter, one of my favorite people on that app, made a comment. Looked like 2019 Josh Allen on that throw. She's right. He did. Absolutely did. Kayla AF, follow her on Twitter. She's a great follow. There was a play to Dalton Kincaid down the sideline. Josh Allen gets hit right after he throws. It does draw roughing the passer penalty, probably a penalty that gave the Bills life. I don't know that they earned that penalty. It felt like kind of a ticky-tack call, but you know, you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, you're going to get those calls. It's one of the many benefits in this sport of having a superstar quarterback. Dalton Kincaid was wide open down the sideline, and Josh Allen didn't give him a chance to catch the ball. You've seen that a lot this year. But you know what I saw more of today? than even those misses that stick out like a sore thumb. I saw a really bad ball placement by Josh Allen on a lot of intermediate throws. There was a screen pass to James Cook early in the game. Cook gets like 10 yards on it, but Cook has to reach down to the ground to catch it, and it's just a simple snap and throw. You want that ball right at his face so he can just turn and get upfield, and that little hesitation he has to do, you can't have it. Hardy had to go down for a ball. Diggs had to go down for a ball. His ball placement intermediately on those 10 yard were, were just putting extra stress on receivers, really taking away any chance at rack. But then there was the play where it's third and 18 and Josh Allen evades two rushers and he flips it to Latavius Murray, who makes a player miss and gets the first down. And you're like, oh yeah, that's why Josh Allen is great. Show me another quarterback in this game that in this sport that makes that play. Mahomes hurts maybe, but you get the point. Mac Jones wasn't going to make that play. So it's a give and a take. And if the Bills are at this point consciously trying to limit Josh Allen running, then you're losing a lot of that, that positive that comes from it. Anthony from Cover One, who I thought really had good perspective on this. I don't have his tweet pulled up right now. I wish I did, but it was really like a baseball analogy. It was this, it was basically saying that the last few years, the bills have been a team that have been reliant on home runs. 
And the change they made this offseason, the philosophical change, was to rely more on getting runners on base and driving them in. The problem is they're not striking out any less, but now those balls that were home runs before are now singles and doubles, and they're getting less runs overall. I think that really holds true on some of these drives you're seeing from the Bills. This is now two weeks in a row where you're just watching the game go by and the Bills have had the ball twice and it's like 10 minutes to go in the second quarter. Where is the game gone? This is this is still a four-quarter football game, right? 60 minutes? Like how how is is accelerated clock on like Madden? Third quarter. The Bills get the ball coming out of halftime. They had two drives in the second half. Two. The all these Bills drives, they just they're so slow and so plodding. There's no explosion. And even when they score touchdowns, it's just like six yard pass to Dalton Kincaid on first down. And then Dalton Kincaid and James Cook go off the field. And then in comes Deontay Hardy and Latavius Murray. Second down. And now because they had some substitutions, Josh Allen's getting to the line of scrimmage with about five seconds to go. And then he's looking around and then he starts stomping his foot frantically, trying to get the ball snapped. The ball snapped at one handoff to Latavius Murray, three yard gain. Oh, Latavius Murray out of the game. Deontay Hardy out of the game. Let's get Kincaid back in the game. Let's, let's bring in Khalil Shakir. Cool. Let's do substitutions after every play. And now it's third down, third and two, and the Bills are getting to the line with like eight, seven, six, five. And then there's Josh Allen stomping his foot, trying to get the ball snapped. There's no rhythm. It's just play. And then we're going to sub out half of our half of our skill positions, bring in other guys, and then we're going to line up slow. We're going to get the play call in slow. And then Josh Allen is flirting with the delay game again. I. I want to see this offense go fast. I understand that they don't have a bunch of full-time players after Diggs and Davis at wide receiver, but I'd like to see them to commit to some personnel for drives at a time. I don't need them taking out Dalton Kincaid every time he catches the ball because it's Khalil Shakir's turn. Nobody said that. I know that's a, that's a throwback to the Chan Gailey, Fred Jackson turn, but it just felt like every single time they would complete a pass on first down, all of a sudden, three skill position players would run off. Three skill position players come in. There's late getting out of the huddle. And now it's Josh Allen stomping his foot frantically trying to get the ball snapped. And when this offense was humming at the end of the game, just like in Jacksonville, it's because they had to go fast. They had no choice. I want to see that. I want to see Dalton Kincaid get more snaps than Dawson Knox. I want to see Deontay Hardy out there more than Khalil Shakir or Trent Shurfield. And guess what? If you want to put Khalil Shakir out there, fine. Just commit to somebody. Commit to them for a drive. And then throw a pass to Dalton Kincaid on first down. And then get up to the line of scrimmage and snap it on the second down. Make the defense adjust to you. What are we doing? This is the, where did our Buffalo Bills go? They used to dictate games. 2020, 2021, 2022. This team would wear you out on offense. You would blink and they'd have 21 points. The floodgates would open. 
that Miami game, it looked like those Buffalo Bills were back. But now it's just slow and everything is just like, okay, well, it's second and let me let me check the play sheet. Oh, I want to go with this package. So let's get let's get Kincaid out of the game. Let's get Gilliam out of the game. Let's get Hardy out of the game. Let's go ahead and send in Sherfield and Latavius Murray so we can line up Latavius Murray at wide receiver. Latavius Murray at wide receiver. What are we doing? Just keep the personnel on the field for one drive. Try to get the ball snap with 20 seconds to go where Josh Allen can hear Ken Dorsey in his ear until he gets to the line of scrimmage and then he's out there going fast. Josh Allen is a smart quarterback. You know how you take away some of his brains? When he gets to the line with five seconds to go and no matter what he sees, it doesn't matter because he has to snap the ball. God, that was frustrating. It was so frustrating and it's been a trend for the last two weeks. They are such a slow offense. I don't know why they don't force the issue and go faster. They certainly have the personnel to do it. They certainly have the quarterback to do it. And they certainly have the skill position players to do it. I understand they want to, to get different guys in the slot. Whatever. Find a package of plays that works on one drive for Dalton Kincaid at tight end, Deontay Hardy at, at slot receiver, and then go. Just go. James Cook, hey, you're in for this entire drive. Maybe it goes eight or nine plays and you have to tap your helmet and come out for Latavius Murray, but not on second down. Not because Ken Dorsey flipped to the next page on his script and he's like, okay, well now, now Sherfield and, and Gilliam have to come in. So we're going to slow it down and we're going to get the play call in with 15 seconds to go and it's going to be chaos again. It, it drives me nuts. This offense doesn't dictate anything right now. This offense looks like it's regressed so far and it's so frustrating because they don't have to regress. They have the talent to get it done. I just spent the first part of this podcast talking about how we don't get enough out of Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox. They still have Josh Allen. They still have Stefan Diggs. James Cook looks like a real player. And Dalton Kincaid, when you throw him the ball, looks like a damn good player. And boy, Deontay Hardy is fast. That should be enough. I don't understand why they're overthinking. I don't understand why they're committed to running on second and long. I don't understand why after three years of the Bills looking like they are ahead of the game offensively, they have regressed back. I am cool with them not running Josh Allen as much. I get that from a long-term view. But everything else that's come with that has regressed this offense back to a point where they statistically are not there, but they don't feel like a dangerous offense right now. I know when you start adding up point differential, there's the 48-point game against Miami. They, they blew out the Raiders. They blew out the Commanders. So you probably can still add it all up and be like, man, these Bills, man, they're one of the best offenses in the league. What have they done the last three weeks? What have they done the last three weeks? They, it was garbage time against Jacksonville before they did anything. They had zero points for the first three quarters against the Giants. And they had 10 points for the first three quarters against Miami. Something's got to change, and it's got to change fast. I do not think the Bills need to fire Ken Dorsey, but I think Ken Dorsey needs to figure out what's going on with him. The pace of this offense, it is so painfully slow. The Bills need to win games on offense, and you can do that by dictating it. There is a trend in the league right now where overall conservative offense is kind of coming back. You see that with some of the fourth down percentages. You see that with some of the shot plays, defense is as ahead of the game as it's been in recent years. That is a real trend. But the Bills are not built to lean into that trend right now. 
they need to attack with their offense for better or worse. Win with your offense. I understand the game started off with an interception. I sure hope that's not the reason why they just reined it in for the rest of the day. What else do we want to talk about here? <sighs> I'm trying to cycle through different points of frustration. You know, when I look around the AFC, I still think that the Bills are right in that conversation or at least have the potential to be in that conversation with the best teams. I really do. But not the way they're playing right now. The good news is it's October 22nd. And I will tell you all, I love the America's Game documentaries on NFL Network. I'm obsessed with them. I Anytime a new one comes out, I watch it. I love the story of these championship teams. I love the adversity they went through. And you can go back as recently as last year. The Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs lost a game to the Indianapolis Colts, who ended up with the third pick. You can go back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady in 2020. They lost a home game to Taysom Hill and the New Orleans Saints where they didn't score a point. Adversity hits every single championship team throughout the season. Besides the 72 Dolphins, we get it. It's how you bounce back from that adversity. So is the fact that the Bills are 4-3 and three on October 22nd a death sentence? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But all we know about this Buffalo Bills team is they are in a hole. What we don't know is if they can dig themselves out of it. That's what starts Thursday. The unfortunate part, the really unfortunate part, this was supposed to be the easy part of the schedule. This was the part of the schedule where the Bills get a gift, a drive and a half into the game. Aaron Rodgers goes out. Zach Wilson comes in. And now a game that's a 50-50 game looks like a layup. Zach Wilson's on the field. Then they come home and they play the Raiders. And then Sam Howell and the Commanders. And they go, and they play Miami. That's a tough game. Play Jacksonville, that's a tough game, but then come back and play the Giants and the Patriots. Like, man, like at worst, two losses, maybe one loss, but you know, at the end of the day, you should you should be cooking with you should be a five and one or a five and two, six and one team right now. You're a four and three team. You've lost games to Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, and you were a yard away from losing to Tyrod Taylor without his left tackle disappointing all around. And when you look at what's coming up on the back end of this schedule, where the games get considerably tougher, the Bills have five road games left. You want to hear those road games? I don't know if you do. You ready? Brace yourself. Sit down. Five road games left. At Cincinnati. At Philadelphia. At Kansas City. At the LA Chargers. At the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> where's the easy one there? You want to tell me the chargers are down? They've been in every game there. We know what they're capable of at their ceiling. You want to tell me they're not as good as you thought. Then I, I can live with that, but Holy cow. And this is a bills team that just lost a road game to new England and lost a road game to Zach Wilson in a game. He wasn't even expecting to play. There was no Zach Wilson game plan. 
That team was begging to get beat and you lost. So why do I think they can go to Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Kansas City, the Chargers or Miami and win? You want to say they beat Miami already? Sure. That I mean, that's true. It's factually correct. But I mean, there's no easy games on the road. And then you start looking at some of these home games. The Jets, who do really well against the Bills. Um, the Cowboys, who, you know, up and down, kind of like the Chargers. But if they're up, watch out. Do we have to include New England now? Because New England beat the Bills today? I sure don't want to. I still feel like New England's as bad as I predicted them to be coming into this game. But they get the last laugh because they won today. Do you want one piece of good news? You contributed to costing the Patriots Caleb Williams, which maybe ne by this time um, next April, we're super happy about. But today was today was tough, guys. Today was tough. And winning a Super Bowl, ultimately having success in the playoffs, I firmly believe, as Tua just threw a brutal interception that makes me feel better, quite honestly, um, to be a team that wins a Super Bowl, you have to have three things. You have to make the playoffs. Makes sense, right? We can all wrap our heads around that. You can't win a tournament if you're not in the tournament. You have to make the playoffs. Bills have done that at a very high level under Sean McDermott. Every year but one, they have made the playoffs under Sean McDermott. Fantastic track record there. Number two, when you get to the playoffs, you have to be hot. We don't know how they're going to be. They could very much be the kind of team that waltzes through the regular season, struggles, plays around 500 ball, and then come December, they hit their stride, they get hot, they get in the playoffs, they win the whole thing. That's within the range of outcomes for this team. I don't say that as somebody wearing a Bills hat with a Bills picture behind me because I'm a always paint a positive outlook content creator. I say that because they have the high-end quarterback, they have the high-end wide receiver, and at their best, which we have seen, they can do that. I think 2021 was a very fantastic example of that, a team that wasn't very good in the regular season. They were kind of average, you know, playoff-wise. They were a playoff team, but they were a three-seed. They struggled throughout the regular season, but boy, did they get hot at the right time. And if not for one of the biggest collapses in Arrowhead, they might have been a Super Bowl champion. The other thing you have to have is luck. Football is very much a game of luck. You see it every week. Last week, the 49ers get their first loss of the season. Why? Because their kicker misses a 43-yard field goal. What are you supposed to do with that? We drove down. We got in field goal range. We missed. Bills fans can relate to missing a field goal in big spots, unfortunately. We certainly know that existence. Luck can be weather. Maybe you're a team that likes to pass and you get handed a snow game. That's not ideal. Luck can be injuries. Injuries are all absolutely luck. There's no skill in injuries. I mean, there's choices you make that are smarter than other choices. Like last year, Brandon Staley for the Chargers playing his starters in a meaningless week 17 game. They got Mike Williams injured. That wasn't very intelligent, but ultimately injuries are luck. Last year, the Bills were about as unlucky as it got injury-wise. This year, not off to a great start. Not off to a great start. Matt Milano, Tredavious White, Daquan Jones, gone. But I think there's still enough on this roster if they don't sustain any more big losses and maybe somehow, some way get 
Daquan Jones or Matt Milano back. We shall see. I wouldn't bank on it. Maybe the Bills will be in good form by the time they get to the playoffs. And you have to also know. As fans, it's so easy to think we're the only team that this stuff happens to because we live in our own little bubble. Other injuries are going to happen to other teams. Teams that we think of are great right now are going to get that injury that just cost them their season. We don't know who it's going to be. You can be the San Francisco 49ers. You can be flying high. And then the first play of the NFC Championship game, you lose your quarterback to an injury, and you can't complete a forward pass the rest of the way. Never know when that's going to happen. You don't know who it's going to happen to. You just hope it's not you. But I don't know. I'm not going to panic on October 22nd about a loss. I'm I'm more upset about the trend we've seen over the last three weeks. A loss is a loss. Four and three, this team, I, I named their schedule. They They should still have enough to make the playoffs if they're as good as we thought they were. It's the trend. It's it's the lack of aggressiveness, aggressiveness on offense. One last thing I want to talk about before I get to game balls and game checks. Dorian Williams. Dorian Williams was benched in the second half today for Tyrell Dotson. We saw this also happen in Jacksonville where Dorian Williams was the first man in for Matt Milano and then he got benched pretty quickly and then Tyrell Dotson came in and finished out the day. To Tyrell Dotson's credit, played very well in Jacksonville. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I think Dorian Williams has a unique athletic skill set that you can't coach. He pops on tape. He plays with aggressive aggressiveness and speed. And he's just a raw, inexperienced player. And every rep he's on the field is a valuable rep. I want to see the Bills embrace that. Empower him to make mistakes and play through them. Empower him to grow. Do not Cody Ford him. I'm not saying Cody Ford would have been great, but I am saying every time Cody Ford had a bad series, benching him for Ty and Secchi could not have been great on his mental health. Mental health, not the right phrasing. On his psyche as far as a football player. I don't love it. We know what Tyrell Dodson is. We know exactly what Tyrell Dodson is at this point in time, and it's not good enough to be an every-down player. Is he better than Dorian Williams right now? Maybe, possibly, but it's not about, (coughs) excuse me, it's not about right now. It's about January. And Dorian Williams, every time you bench him for Tyrell Dodson, is missing out on valuable reps that have a chance that make him a much better player come January. If Matt Milano is not coming back and we have every reason to believe he's not this season, the best case scenario for the Bills at linebacker is Terrell Bernard continues to play at a high level and a much more experienced Dorian Williams is playing next to him and this defense is still very strong at linebacker. That's within the range of outcomes. You know what hurts that range of outcomes? Is if Dorian Williams gets benched every time he makes a mistake. I don't like it. Tyrell Dotson is not worth bringing on the field to neuter a young kid. Empower him to make mistakes. Empower him to play through those mistakes. Let him know he's your guy. Now, look, if he wants to go out there and get like four roughing the passer penalties in a row, I get it. You still got to coach. But this is the stuff that frustrated me about this regime with young players before. It's why even going into year two, we had no idea what Kyrie Elam was. 
because he just never got on the field, never got the chance to play through mistakes. And now Dorian Williams has a chance. The upside of the Matt Milano injury is your third round pick that you thought was just going to be put in bubble wrap and cover kicks all year now has a chance to develop as a player. And we can see what we have. These are, these are very valuable reps for him and his growth, his trajectory. Maybe you found an answer here. And he had a bad half and he got to the bench. You know, we, we, we saw James Cook get benched a couple times this year already after a couple bad games. And, you know, I mean, he still rotates in, but I don't love it. I, I don't like it at all. And it just, it never feels consistent either. Like Dawson Knox got to play through mistakes when he was young. Spencer Brown, did he ever get pushed? I know it felt like, oh, David Questenberry's pushing him in camp. The hell he was. Spencer Brown had a back injury, missed all of camp, and came back and started week one against the Rams last year. And Spencer Brown's been fine this year. He's just an example. I don't understand why certain players have certain rules and certain rookies really have to earn it. I don't like it. Empower your rookies. Let them grow. This is, this is the kind of team that should be good enough to win around rookies making mistakes. Look how great the Chiefs defense is this year. And yeah, is that is that a large part to do with the fact that Chris Jones is a wrecking crew and Nick Bolton is one of the most underappreciated linebackers in the sport and Trent McDuffie is one of the better young cornerbacks in the sport? Absolutely. But it also has to do with the fact that they had a handful, a handful of rookies playing very important snaps last year and they lived with it. They got all kinds of experience and coming into this season, all those players are better versions of themselves because of it. The Bills, their roster is getting older. You have age problems on this roster. You don't need to be going to AJ Klein every time you have a linebacker injury anymore. Backfill with youth. You have Balen Spector sitting there, but you have this kid, Dorian Williams, that pops at times, and let's just see if we can channel that. That's what I want to see. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating because I think he has a chance to be really special. But how how are his instincts ever going to get better if he's looking over his shoulder thinking he's going to get benched every time he makes a mistake? I love Tremaine Edmonds. I, I may be the last like Tremaine Edmonds fan in Bill's Mafia. But boy, oh boy, if he would have gotten benched every time he made a bad read early in his career... I mean, he would have gotten tired running to the bench every play. And it's Tyrell Dodson. It's not like you're benching him. This isn't like Kyer Elam for Dane Jackson. Okay. Where you have a guy that's like a baseline starter that you know can get the job done at a starting level. And like there, there's real comfort level in the fact that he's going to do a good job for you. It's Tyrell Dodson, a career special teamer who every time he's been on the field, for an extended period of time, has shown you why he's a career backup. Keep Dorian Williams in the game. I don't like it at all. All right. Let's get to game balls and game checks. Put a bow on this Bills-Patriots game, this Bills-Patriots debacle. The, the four and three Buffalo Bills then will turn their attention to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday night football in Buffalo. But for those of you that are new, game balls and game checks, is kind of like our MVP LVP segment. Luca and I both pick a player game ball 
pretty self-explanatory. Who deserves a game ball for their performance today against the New England Patriots? Game check, the direct opposite, the LVP, the player who should hand in his game check for his performance. He didn't even need to show up. But, all right. I'm going to do two of each because Luke is not here, and I want to make sure we get a couple things covered. Game ball. First game ball I'm going to give is to Dalton Kincaid. He had a very strong game. He had eight receptions on eight targets, and that feels right. It felt like every time Josh Allen threw him the ball, he caught it. He was open a lot. It felt like he was getting a little bit longer downfield, had a long of 15, but he made tough catches in traffic, good run after catch. I thought this was a big step in the right direction for Dalton Kincaid. And I will say I'm excited to go back and watch, not watch the all 22, but also track on PFF snap count and snap alignment, because it sure did feel like Dalton Kincaid might have outsnapped Dawson Knox today. AJ Brown is insane. What a catch I just saw. Number two, on the defensive side of things, Jordan Poyer. There's been some talk about Jordan Poyer slowing down. I would echo that. I think the first few games of this season, he did not look like um, the Jordan Poyer of old, but he brought it today. Five tackles had the Bills only sack on Mac Jones. But when the Bills desperately needed a play, I asked who's going to make a play for you. Jordan Poyer made that play. He did a peanut punch to get the ball out that Terrell Bernard recovered that gave the Bills the ball back with a chance to go ahead late in the game. Jordan Poyer has such a knack for making game-changing plays. What a playmaker he has been for the Bills in his Bills career. And it was fantastic to see today. Unfortunately, did not ultimately result in a win. But Jordan Poyer gets a game ball for his performance today against the New England Patriots. With the good, we got to have some bad and some game check awards to hand out. I'm going to do three. Break some rules here. Number one, Dawson Knox. One catch for 10 yards on three targets and a drop on fourth down. Can't have it. Not good enough. I don't care how much money you make. I'm not here to count your check. But, you know, we've talked about Dawson Knox enough. He's not Travis Kelsey. He's not Mark Andrews. He's not George Kittle. We get that. But I think there was at least signs he could be Dallas Goddard. He's not. It's not even remotely close at this point. Dawson Knox is just a pretty athletic tight end that blocks decently well, that ultimately doesn't catch the ball consistently enough to be a reliable top target in an offense. And I think 12 personnel was one reason why the Bills drafted Dalton Kincaid, but I think as this season has gone on, we're seeing other reasons why the Bills felt the need to spend a first-round pick on a tight end. Number two, Gabriel Davis. Much the same as Dawson Knox. This is a guy that much is expected of, and it's like he didn't even show up to the game today. Five targets, one reception, six yards. <sighs> I'm trying to remember a pass that went his direction. I know there was one that overshot him in the end zone. It's just, he doesn't present himself open enough. He just doesn't. And it's not good enough production out of a wide receiver to six yards in a game where Stefan Diggs is held to 58. That's this is, this is a spot that you needed Gabriel Davis to step up and he did the direct opposite. 
The Bills are going to have a tough choice this offseason to give them an extension. I I really have no interest in seeing that get done. I think that's the kind of extension that will feel a lot like the Dawson Knox contract. I think Gabriel Davis can play. I think he can fill a role in an offense, absolutely. I think as a wide receiver three or as a wide receiver four, he's kind of a luxury because he can get deep. He's a good role player. But I think there's going to be, if you give him 12, 13, 14 million APY, There'll be just way too many times where you look at that and say, couldn't I have drafted somebody in the fifth round to do that for me? So that's not somebody I'm interested in seeing the bills extend, but I still think they want to. We shall see. And third, hate to do this, Tyler Bass. It's two games in a row. He hasn't looked like the Tyler Bass that we've been accustomed to. Last week against the Giants, he missed two field goals. Luca was at the game and said Tyler Bass was missing kicks in halftime warmups. And then today, Tyler Bass misses a chip shot. Looks like the wind caught it. That's fine, but he missed it. This isn't a guy that's not used to kicking in wind. And, you know, you never know how the game's going to go from that point on. But in a game that the Bills lost by four, having three extra points along the way somewhere probably could have come in handy and Tyler Bass missed a big kick. And it just, when you miss a kick like that, it's such a momentum killer. Not like a field goal is something anybody's going to be excited about, but the offense is struggling and to not reward them with any points after a long drive, five minutes and 45 seconds, 12 plays, 51 yards to miss a kick. You know, it just, it's such a downer and they went into halftime down by two scores because of it. So Tyler Bass, I don't know what's going on with him. I'm not worried about him per se, uh, but I have one eye on it. And I want to see if he can figure this out because for all the issues on this team, having a Tyler Bass consistency issue is not something I had on my bingo card. All right. Well, what the Bills have on their bingo card is a date with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday night. Stokes and I will be here on Wednesday to break down, well, there won't be, so the schedule this week's kind of wonky because of a Thursday night game. So the Bills will actually, quote unquote, practice tomorrow. It'll be a walkthrough. Um, they may not even practice. It might be a simulated practice. And then they'll practice again on Tuesday, another walkthrough, and then they'll release their game injury report. Um, so I'm not sure when like the the Sean McDermott main press conference will be. It might be Tuesday. Uh, but Stokes and I'll be back on Wednesday to kind of set the table for this game against the Buccaneers. And then Luke and I will be back on Friday, built in Buffalo live to talk about everything that took place in the bills, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. And then I'm not sure if we're doing bills chat after that or not, because Luca traveling and, and sometimes those bills chats after a Thursday night game, when we did the bills chat live can be a little redundant and kind of forced. So we'll just have to talk, wait and see. Um, but we will see. And, uh, Again, thank you. I know this is not fun to talk about when the Bills are struggling. I certainly would rather be here talking about a 5-2 and two football team that smashed the Patriots today. Instead, we have to talk about how Bill Belichick got his 300th win against the Bills. Feels like he's beaten the Bills 300 times in his career. I don't think that's the case. I think he's beaten some other teams along the way. Uh, but the reality is there's an old saying in sports. You are what your record says you are. The Bills are a four and three football team. Whether we like it or not, that's their reality. And all they can do is push forward. And that starts Thursday night with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thank you for listening. 
I am Josh McCarty from Bill's Chat. I would love it if you took the time to like and subscribe on wherever you are taking this podcast and it helps Luca and I out so much as we are trying to become your one-stop shop for all Buffalo Bills content. We will see you next time on Bill's Chat.